We're talking about perilous times. We're talking about false teachers, right? Last week we left off at uh, where we were. We went back to Galatians 1 and 8 where he talks about if, any, if I or an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel than the one that we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Amen? What does that word accursed mean? Anybody know? I've said it like condemned. Bound to hell forever. That's what it means. Amen? It means you are going there. Okay? So it's really important for us to remember that. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've been in that, we've been in 2 Timothy for like eight weeks. I, I, I'm purposely preaching through the Bible so nobody gets lost. Okay? <laughs> Amen? Hey, you don't have to worry about what I'm going to be preaching on. You know we're preaching on 2 Timothy 3 this week. I've already got all my notes for next week written, okay? And we're going to finish this chapter next week. And then we're going to do 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's not a hard thing. 1, 2, 3, 4. We're just going to keep going. Amen? Amen. So let's read the first portion of Scripture, verse 1 through 9. It says, This know also. That in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient unto their parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasure rather than love, or excuse me, more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. So, from such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sin, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But, as, but now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall not proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest, made manifest to all men, as theirs also was. Now watch this. We... I'm going to give you a recap. Last week, we talked about a few things. We're just going to skip right through here real quick. First, we talked about the last days, right? We spent a good portion of time understanding that the last days started when Jesus came, right? Uh, or if you want to believe uh, at the day of Pentecost, I don't care, okay? Theologically, it's going to make no difference. The realization is still that the last days started then, Amen. The last days, we're not waiting for the last days. The last days are here. We've been in them last days, amen? We're talking about the last days. How do I know it's the last days? Well, Acts chapter 2, when Peter and them, they all got filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter came out there to talk, what did he say? This is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Yes. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So if 
That was the last days, and Peter said it was, and we know that this is written in Scripture, so it's God's Word, God breathed, amen, that's next week's sermon, I don't want to try to jump onto it, but God breathed, that means we can, we know that this is what God wants us to know, right? The last days started then, amen, we're in the last days. Now, uh, there's some discussion of whether it's going to get worse and worse and worse, or it's going to get better and better and better. I noted that mine, and, and, and I know Kyle has the, the uh, Reformation Study Bible, it says in there that it's going to grow worse and worse and worse, okay? Now, I know the church should be getting better and better and better. I can't hold any uh, hope out that the world is going to get better and better and better without Christ here, okay? That's just my opinion. You might have a different uh, eschatological uh, argument to make we talk about it It'd be great okay uh, we're not going to get stuck on that today <laughs> let's keep going since we, we went over all the different characteristics of these false teachers how they would be lovers of their own self covetous which means lovers of money right or lovers of things boasters they're going to be boasting about their self prideful blasphemers amen disobedient to their parents now, this disobedient to their parents wasn't just like, oh, you're breaking the law of Moses. What it's showing you is that these false teachers' teaching is going to even creep into the house, into the household, and disrupt the natural order of a household. Can we say that's happening today? Can we say there's churches preaching false teaching about that today? Amen. We need... <clears throat> I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. You cannot celebrate having a woman vice president and then say we don't have gender, okay? Doesn't make any sense. That's double-mindedness. Either we have gender or we don't, okay? And I make the assumption that through Scripture we have gender. Uh, through natural biology we've got men and we've got women, okay? That's how the world is set up. And to deny absolute reality Amen. is nonsensical and absolute lunacy, Amen. absolutely heretical, speaking against the very nature of how God has set the world up. Amen. Don't hate me. That's what the Bible says. God created them male and female, created he them, man and woman. Yes. Amen. Amen. Come on, come on. Uh, I don't want to get stuck there either. <clears throat> we, can. With, we can. We can get stuck there real easy, okay? Without natural affections, truth breakers, uh, false accusers, incontent. That word incontent means they're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to reconcile with these people. You can't make them happy. There's nothing that you can do or say that's going to make them happy. They're incontent. Fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we close this portion out at verse 5 where it said having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, okay? And we spent great lengths in talking about what this really means, right? I boil it all down 
to Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Okay? Paul says, if I preach any other gospel, I'm going to be accursed. And then if you go to Romans chapter 1, and I believe it's verse 12. Let's flip over there real quick. I'm going to read out of my, NI, or my ESV real quick. Uh, Romans chapter 1, I believe it's verse 12. No, it's verse 16, excuse me. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto all, to everyone who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. The realities that we're talking about in Galatians, about them having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof is not just they look, uh, uh, get this, they look religious. They sound Christianese. That's my own word, okay? You can use it. They sound Christianese. They sound like, oh, they, they sound like they're pro promoting the Bible. They sound like it, but if you listen to the message, it's me, 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 I, 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 me, me. All throughout it. Remember uh, 20 years ago, Creflo Dollar started his whole, money cometh to me. The first thing that I noticed about that whole sentence was he wants money and he wants it for himself. Money cometh to me. He didn't pray and say, hey, God, we need this, we need this. It was a command. Why? Because he's standing in his own authority, speaking to his own desires. Tickling his own ears. Amen. That's what's going on. We need to understand that we can't adulterate the gospel. The gospel is the whole idea. The whole message of the Bible is the gospel. The whole meaning behind all of it was Christ. Him crucified. Him dead. Him raised from the dead. That was the whole point. Amen. The whole point of this book is that. And we need to understand that anything good in me or in my life comes from God. And it's not for me to boast in. It's not for me to take pride in. It's for me to thank God for. Amen. I want to read a little note that I wrote out of uh, my, this is from Spurgeon. Uh I guess I didn't write that down, did I? Oh, I did. I got to turn back a page. Hold on. It says, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. I want to read this to you. This was written by Charles Spurgeon 200 years ago. True religion is a spiritual thing, but it, is necess it necessarily embodies itself in a form. Christian people fall into a certain outward method of uh, procedure, a particular outward mode of uttering their faith, which becomes to true godliness what the body is to the soul. If you get both the form as modeled in the word of God and the power as bestowed by the Holy Spirit of God, you do well and are living as Christians. 
If you get the power alone without the ordained form, you somewhat name yourself. But if you get the form without the power, then you dwell in spiritual death. That's a powerful statement. Spurgeon's point behind what he was saying was Christians need to act like Christians, but they also need to really be born again. Amen? It's, it's, you, you don't just choose one and then leave the other one behind, okay? If you're really born again, you're going to want to live your life for God. And those who pretend they want to live their life for God but refuse to be born again are not truly saved. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. And then the question obviously becomes, what's the power of God? What, what is he talking about, the power of God? The gospel. Romans 1 and 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God is the real, true, born-again, regenerate experience. It's not just crying and tears, okay? I know a lot of people that have a lot of crying and tears, but their life did not change. I know a lot of people who supposedly spoke in tongues and fell down at the altar and got slain in the spirit, quote, unquote, but their life didn't change. Matter of fact, you're looking at a person who partook of such things and thought I was spiritual. But the reality was, I didn't know God. And it's about knowing him. Jesus, on the day of uh, judgment, it says, many will there be in that day that come to me, say, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out devils in your name? Did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not do many wonderful works in your name? And he will look at them and say, depart from me, you who work iniquity. For I never knew you. Do you see? Jesus said that if you try to do the works, good works, outside of an actual born again experience of knowing him, he marks your good works as iniquity, as sin, as blasphemous. I get that question a lot as a pastor. They go, Pastor, there's a lot of good people in the world doing a lot of good works. And you know how God sees it? Iniquity. Dirty rags. Remember that verse? All of our good works before God are like filthy rags because I'm not saved by my works. I'm saved by coming to know who Jesus Christ is. I want to submit to you when Peter first knew who Christ was. I, I can't remember the chapter and verse off the top of my head. I didn't even write this. I didn't even uh, plan on bringing this verse up. But Peter and the disciples had come to Jesus and they had just came back from ministering out in the different countrysides and they came unto him and they were talking about how the devils were subject to him and all this stuff. And then he says, who do men say that I am? And they all started answering, well, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah the prophet, and some say one of the other prophets. And Jesus asked them a very specific question. He said, but who do you say that I am? Peter 
was the only one that spoke up. And he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter looked at, or Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, son of Jonah, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Look at your neighbor and tell him, a person didn't tell him. No man told him what Jesus is about to say. No man told him that Jesus was the Christ. You're like, well, I know somebody had to say he was the Christ at some point. Yes, but that's not what he's talking about. He's telling him, you didn't come to this conclusion on your own. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. No one comes to Christ except the Father draws them. And I'm telling you, we have tried to rob God's salvation and take him right out of it in modern day Christianity. We think that God somehow uh, often in, in the never nevers and he's on his throne he's just kind of just ooh, waiting for somebody to say yeah I'll accept the free gift. That's not how salvation works. Salvation isn't just uh, somebody happening by and then goes oh I want to believe in Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Salvation is God the Father being actively involved in saving people. God walks around and goes, man, I want that one right there. I know we don't like that idea, but that's basically what Scripture is telling us. Nobody comes to the Father, or nobody comes to Christ except the Father draws them. Nobody gets to the Father except Jesus, except through Christ. God initiates salvation every time. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Amen? So now that we got a real good idea of what the gospel is, amen, we're going to move on to the next verse. <laughs> I love that part. Now, I don't want to miss this, okay? And I don't want to go ahead of myself. I almost did. I almost did. I almost got way ahead of myself. Verse 5, the last four words in the King James. Let me go back here and see how many words there are in the ESV. I don't know. You know, you know how this works. Um, yeah. Uh, where'd it go? Verse 5. That's what I'm trying to find. There we go. It's only three words in the... Uh, so in three words in the ESV, it says, avoid such people. I like King James' phrase better. From such, turn away. Amen? I don't have to listen to false teachers. You guys are like, oh, they're on TV and they're a pastor. They're not a pastor. If they're not teaching the real gospel, ignore them. If they're not teaching the true gospel, you don't have to listen to them. You don't even have to acknowledge their office. You don't even have to act like they're who they say they are. Because the reality is, if they're preaching anything that looks like verse 2 and 3 and 4, you don't have to listen. If their gospel is all about health, wealth, and prosperity, and, and how great you are, with, and, and you just need just a little bit of Jesus will make you just right, that ain't the gospel. The gospel is I'm lost and I'm undone. I'm, I'm a sinner in need of salvation. And if I don't have God come and save me, I am going to split hell wide open. Amen. That's the gospel. Amen. Amen. 
And if people don't preach that, you don't have to listen. Turn away. Turn the channel. Turn the channel. Shut the radio off. Change the dial. Amen. Get out of the idea that you have to listen to that nonsense. You don't have to. Listen to faithful Bible preaching. Listen to faith. Man, if you listen to a sermon and the guy doesn't bring up a scripture to start and to end, get out. <laughs> he's not preaching the Bible. He's a motivational speaker. Amen? It says, from such, turn away. Now, this is in contrast at the end of chapter 2 where Paul's telling a Timothy as an elder, as a, as, as a pastor, that he's to, uh, uh, to correct people in gentleness and love in hopes that they would repent, right? Chapter 3 starts off realizing that not everybody will repent. That's why we're getting this contrast of people who we're trying to reach out to still and then people who are just false teachers or false Christians and not really born again. Amen? All right, so I didn't want to forget that. I'm, that's pretty important, right? I mean, I, I thought it was pretty important. So I want to read this note now that I finally got here. <laughs> Paul's point, uh, let's, let's go ahead and uh, go to verse 6. It says, For this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sin, led away with diverse lusts. Now, I want to stop right here, okay? Because this verse has been misused to make it seem like all women are these women. That's not true, okay? I want to give you uh, just a snippet of what Sproul says about this. He said, Paul's point is not that all women are this way, but that some have been especially vulnerable to the deception of these false teachers. And the false teachers at Ephesus had been especially successful in deceiving these women. That's what we're talking about. And he gives you some references here. We're going to go look at them. Uh, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because we talked about this when we were in 1 Timothy. We touched on this. I just want to give you a little refresher, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 14, right? It says, uh, yet, uh, oh, that ain't the one I want. Go to 1 Timothy 5, I believe. Starting at verse 13. Besides that, they learn to be idlers. Who are we talking about? Do you remember this? We were talking about women who were wanting to be widows, right? Young widows. Remember this? So there's a specific group of people that we're talking about here, not just any old ladies, right? These widows that we're talking about, uh, we can start at verse 9 if you guys want context with this. It says, let a widow be enrolled if she, has, if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, and cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. 
but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, so incurring condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Now, that wasn't talking about they were abandoning their faith in Christ. They were obviously made a vow to stay celibate after you become a widow in the church. Okay, when you got put on the church rolls as a widow, you, was, you were obviously saying, I'm going to live celibately from now on. Okay, and they were warning the younger women not to do that because then you're going to have to break that vow whenever you feel like, oh, I want to marry that dude. Because, you know, some strapping Israelite walks by with a nice beard and the right tassels and you're like, man, I really want a menorah, uh, light menorah with that guy, you know. <laughs> You guys like that? <laughs> he said, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Now, we're getting background here. We're getting background here on the kind of people that Paul's talking about in this next chapter, okay? So I would have younger women marry and bear uh, children and manage their household. Now, let's go back. To Second Timothy, okay, because I want to read this. Right. Right, right. It's a, a previous commitment. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's go back here to verse uh, six real quick. And I want to read quickly for you a few notes that I had written. Uh Where'd it go? Second Timothy 6. Oh, here we go. Women burdened with sin. Due to their guilt from their past, these women are particularly susceptible to both the asentian, asenti, uh, yeah, asentism, promoting uh, artificial self-denial, see 1 Timothy 4.3, and antinomianism, teaching that all sorts of sin are really acceptable, we, we, we want to be very careful in preaching the Bible that we don't okay anybody to do something that God says is wrong. Amen? But people try to all the time. Oh, this ain't wrong. That ain't wrong. Yeah, and they're basically just trying to justify that to themselves. Right. They're okay with their sin. Right, right. They're just trying to cleanse their own conscience. That's what they're doing. They're just trying to cl cleanse their own conscience. So they don't feel bad about the things that they're doing. Amen. And we don't ever want to get into doing that. Amen. That's that's bad. Very bad. Oh, no. No, they are. But you know they are deceived about it because different people in the church have said it's okay. That's why, that's why when I started a year and a half ago of, of we're not going to do anything outside of what Scripture's teaching. We're not going beyond that. That's why Paul makes the point to say, don't go beyond what is written. Amen. I, I don't have to ask if divorce is bad. I, the Bible says so. I don't have to ask if adultery is wrong. The Bible says so. Amen. I don't have to ask. If, you know, uh, if homosexuality is wrong, the Bible talks about it. Amen? we got to make clear, okay? This isn't my opinion. This isn't what I think. This is what the Bible says. Amen? Amen. And we have to stick to that. Amen? 
I, I'm a proponent of sola scriptura. And if we really believe that, we really believe by scripture alone, we got to say, yep, this is what it says, and I'm going to do it. Amen? And we don't get to make the rules up as we go. It says, uh, these false teachers set forth these things. Amen? Uh, I want to read another note over here in my other study Bible. I kind of like how the King James study Bible says it. it says because their guilt from their past these unstable women laden with sin were particularly susceptible to the ascentism and legalism of the false teachers did you notice how the King James Bible didn't put the antinomianism they just put they just put uh, legalism so they didn't have to spell out that big word <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I like that one it's basic that's what Kevin needs, basic. Amen? I'm just telling you. This is good stuff, though. So these women, it wasn't every woman. Uh, I would assume that it's probably maybe widowed women who are idle and busybodies. This is maybe the sins that are making them susceptible to the false teachings of those who are teaching asentism and, and antinomianism. They, they, they're, they're just wandering around and they're not stable. Amen? That's what they're talking about, unstable. If you read what we just read in 1 Timothy about those widows, it says they're unstable and they wander from house to house, gossip, right? Just telling you. Don't get mad at me. Sproles makes that note too, okay? <clears throat> that was in, his, it was in his Bible. Verse 7, it says... I like this one. Our verse, uh, the very end of the, yeah, verse 70 says, ever learning. Remember, we're not talking about the women. We're talking about the false teachers. See, we get trapped once a subject gets brought up and we think that's what we're talking about. You've got to realize Paul is describing these false teachers. He says, for this sort of, are they which creep into the houses of silly women. See, the silly women aren't the object of the discussion. Are you seeing, what, seeing what's happening there? We, we get stuck right there. Now, now, the King James does us no justice, okay, when it says silly women, because most women are like, what did he say? And their little radars come up. What did he say about silly women, right? The silly women are not the subject of discussion. It's the false teachers that are creeping into their houses and leading them astray with ascentism and antinomianism or legalism and, you know, uh, workspace things. Amen? That's, those guys are creeping in there. They're the subject of the topic, not the silly women. So if in case you're reading the King James... <laughs> Don't get stuck on silly women. Just understand he's talking about the false teachers. Amen. He's talking about the sort of people who are have a form of godliness. Going back to verse 5, remember? Context, 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 right? Verse 5 says that we're to turn away from these people because they have a form of godliness, but they deny the gospel, right? They deny the power thereof. He, and he says these kind of people are going to sneak into houses of these women. Amen? I don't want you to get lost there. And these people are ever learning 
and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The, I like how the ESV says, verse 7, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. You understand that it's not just a head knowledge about the Bible that makes you saved. It is a born-again experience from Scripture through faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen? Faith does come from reading the Bible, okay? But it's not just reading the Bible. It's absolutely an encounter with the God of the Bible. Amen? Amen? It's an encounter where you read it, and like Peter, you go, Wow! Jesus really is the Christ. He really, he really did die for my sins. I really do believe this. Amen? Amen? And then the life bears fruit after that. Amen? Yeah, I love the end of that verse where it says the knowledge of the truth. There you go. That's Come on. Christ. Amen. The world thinks there's all different kinds of truth. People think this is my truth, this is their truth. Wrong. Both of those are lies. There's one truth. Right. Right. Amen. Amen. Hey, we talked about this the other day. One of these times, we're just going to have to uh, keep a microphone over there by him. To you, to her, the truth is the same. Yes. Amen. Amen. I don't get. I don't get the gospel my way. I remember preaching about this one time and somebody got really mad at me. Oh, no, I came to God on my own. Oh, no, you didn't. It don't ever happen. You don't ever just wake up one day and say, you know what? I want God. It don't happen. Why? Because we're dead in our trespasses and sin and we like being dead, okay? When we were dead, we had no thought of God. We didn't seek God, didn't want to seek after God. Matter of fact, we ran as fast as we could away from God. Until one day, and then I, you know, I'm going to borrow this from my old Pentecostal brothers. But God. But God. Amen. But God. He said, they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This verse was so impactful just reading it. There's an idea out there that we can study so much and then we'll, because I studied so much, I know more about the Bible than you, but I missed the whole point of it. You realize there's uh, 31 other teams in football every year that do not win the Super Bowl. Every year, 31. And they all pour over their game tape, and they all pour over their uh, film, and they all pour over their playbooks, and they all get out there and practice, and they all get out there and do but not Everybody gets it. And I'm telling you, the born-again experience is not just about having a head knowledge of the Bible. It's a real, honest-to-goodness, born-again experience that Jesus said we had to have in John chapter 3. He, he looked at Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, the ruler of Israel, right? And he said, you must be born again. Amen? So we don't want to get lost in all this. We've got to come back to the gospel. Now,
This part was interesting to me. It says, now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist uh, the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. And I thought, who is this Janus and Jambres stuff? I never heard of these dudes, okay? I had to go look this up. And I realized I read about them all the time. I just didn't know they had names, okay? Do you know who they were, Mike? Well, yeah, we all got that, right? Janus and Jambres is the old Hebrew names that they gave for the two magicians that were there when they threw the stick on the ground. Remember that? Moses threw a staff on the ground and it turned to a serpent. And those, those magicians of Egypt, they said, well, that ain't nothing special. Watch this. And they threw their sticks on the ground. Only problem was, their snake didn't eat other snakes. Right. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. God brought a snake that eat both of them. Amen? And that's how the truth will swallow up a lie. Every time. Okay? You preach the truth. You don't have to get into philosophical debates. Just give them the word. Just give them the truth. The Bible says, sanctify them with your uh, truth. Thy word is truth. John chapter 17, right? We got to understand that those, those people that withstood Moses, uh, 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 they lost. The whole point that Paul's reminding Timothy is these people are only going to be able to get so far. Why? I'll give you a few reasons. Number one, their argument is not grounded in the truth. That's why they lose. Because they're not, their arguments, their teaching, their philosophy is not found in Scripture. That's why they're going to lose. Because the truth will win. Amen? Not only that, but these same people, Paul's telling them, look, it's, it's going to be manifested unto all, right? He uses that word in the King James, I believe. Then nobody said, will be made manifest to all. Now, a couple phrases in the King James that I like. Men of corrupt minds, okay? In other words, their minds corrupt. Why, why is it corrupt? Well, if you go back and read verse 2, 3, and 4, that's pretty corrupt, right? Headings, traitors, haughty, high-minded, all that stuff, that's pretty bad stuff, right? That's corrupt. They're corrupt in their mind. And then it says something that you need to mark, underline. It says reprobate concerning the faith. That's what the King James says. The, the ESV says disqualified regarding the faith. Do you realize there's only one way to heaven, right? Yes. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You're not going to get to heaven by any other way except the way Jesus said. That's why nobody who's following the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel will make it because they're going their own way. Yeah. I'm not just talking about Jesus is some kind of, uh, he, he doesn't just enable us to go to heaven. We're to live our life after him. We're to follow the way he lived. He said, if anybody wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If he's not willing to renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. It's not just a way to heaven. It's also a way of life. Amen. It's a way you live. Amen. You live according to the truth. 
You live according to the way. Or you don't have life. You understand? It's good stuff, ain't it? That's good stuff. All right, I want to get this done. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly will be made manifest unto all men as those others were. Talking about Janus and Jambres. So the men, those false teachers Paul is talking about at the end of this uh, section of chapter 3 are going to proceed so far, but then the truth is going to be made manifest. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's a lot of Christians waking up to the fallacies of what's been going on in the American church for a, a long time. There's a lot of people waking up and saying, that ain't right, that ain't in the Bible, that's not scriptural. Why are we doing that? Why are we singing that? Why are we saying that? It's because we're realizing that the things we've been told aren't found in here. And I love everybody. I love my brothers and sisters that go to different churches. I've got pastor friends at all kinds of different churches. But I'm telling you what, there's going to come a day. And I took it very seriously a year and a half ago when I read Galatians 1 and 6. And it said, if I preach any other gospel other than the one that has been presented, if I preach any other gospel, I'll be cursed. And as a pastor, I'm held to a different standard. And I started realizing for the last 20 years, I haven't really taken this pulpit as seriously as I probably should have. I haven't taken the weight and the burden of preaching the gospel as seriously as I should have. But a year and a half ago, I made a concerted effort to say, you know what? That convicted me so much, we're going to do things different. And we've been doing some things different. Amen. Not everybody likes it. But we're going to do something different. Yeah, Amen. That's right. That's right. Come on. Yes. We'll give you a mic one of these days. You need to get up there and preach. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was like, I'm really worried about getting up here and saying the wrong thing, though. <laughs> All right, everybody stand. We're going to close. I, you know, I don't, I know a lot of people don't like altar calls. I don't, I don't particularly see anything wrong with an altar call. But I am going to, I am going to tell you that if you don't know Jesus Christ in this place today, the Bible says that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that's Romans 10 and 9, I shall be saved. So if you're in this room or you're watching on Facebook and you don't know the Lord and you feel God convicting your heart, your spirit, you don't have to come forward. You ain't even got to come here and say a prayer because it ain't about a prayer. I pray that the Lord would make a way in your heart for you to come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, as God in the flesh, as the person who died for your sins, who rose from the dead so that he could justify you before God the Father. The gospel is this, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. 
If you want to find that in a nutshell, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The gospel is Christ died to save sinners. And if you're a sinner in this room or you're a sinner watching on Facebook or listening on our podcast and you felt the Spirit of God moving on your heart convicting you of sin, all you have to do is repent and believe. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how amazing your word is, God. It's living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's able to divide the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow and the thoughts and the intents of every person's heart, God. So, Lord, today as we have preached your word, God, I pray that your spirit has gone out and divided that soul and that spirit, that bone and that marrow and the thoughts and the intents of those people who have been listening's heart, God. That you would convict them of sin, that you would do what you and you alone can do in their heart, God, that they would be saved, born again, regenerate believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let their life bear fruit, bear witness to that change. Lord, I pray that you would call all those whom you will, and I pray, God, that as they come, God, that they would find a church home that they could be a part of, that they would come and, and, and partake in baptism in the Lord's table, Lord, and that they would live their life holy and acceptable unto you from now on. Lord, for those of us in this room who don't, do know you, Lord, I pray that you would put a brand new urgency in our heart brand new urgency in our life to know your word, to follow your word, to be led by the spirit of God in witnessing and testifying of who Jesus is and what he done for me. Lord, I ask you to bless this food that we're about to partake of, that you would give us a great time of fellowship, God, and that none of us would walk out of here without being able to say, surely, we have been in the presence of the Lord today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.